So here we are. I'm here, you're there, we're ready to go, right? If you would, and turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 15. It's a hard left from where we've been going in the past few weeks. While we're turning there, let me share with you what we're going to study this morning. I've entitled this message, The Asa Chronicles. How many of you are familiar with King Asa from the Old Testament? A few. Not a lot. Honestly, I wasn't either. However, Cindy and I are doing a weekly Bible study from the Bible Study Fellowship series called The Kingdom Divided. It's a study of Israel after the reign of Solomon. If you recall, God's people went through a civil war and divided itself into two nations. The ten tribes of Israel who lived in the north broke away from the two tribes in the south. Tribes in the north retained the name Israel while the two tribes in the south are referred to as Judah. Hence, the divided kingdom. And Asa was the third king of Judah after the nation split. And again, I've never really spent a lot of time studying the later history, national history of Israel. However, when I came across this story of Asa this summer, this story really, really moved me personally. And it's because there are parts of Asa's story that I very much relate to. Much of it is encouraging, but I found some of it to be convicting, and honestly, maybe a little bit too much so. <clears throat> and before you get too worried, I'm not too about to make some big confession in this sermon. The only thing that's scandalous that I'm aware of is why would God ever show a sinner like me any mercy or any grace? or offer me salvation by sending Jesus to die in my place. That's a, I deserve none of that, and that's a scandal of grace for which I benefit. However, praise the Lord that he chooses not to leave us in our sin. He gave us his word so that we might be transformed by it, and we do that by reading and studying scripture that the stories of what others have experienced. And in their story, God shows us many times ourselves. And we're given the opportunity to learn and to do something different. That's the chance that he's given me in the story of Asa. And I'm going to share some of that with you as a testimony to the Lord working in my life. But let's see if there's something here in our text for, for you too that you might be encouraged and built up by the word of the Lord. The story of King Asa spans Second Chronicles 4, chapter 14 to 16. We're only going to read chapter 15, so if you would, please stand for the, wording, for the reading of God's word. We're going to go all of chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. 
But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out to him, or went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak. And for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And they gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets, trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Even Micah. His mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Pray with me. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning and allow it to settle into our hearts and take root. Teach us, Father, for we are ready to listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Who would be pleased to be seated? Let's lay down the outline for what we're going to glean out of chapters 15 and 16. As you can see by verse 2, this all begins with a choice. God is giving a choice to Asa and to Judah. What we're going to talk about is the choice God gives his people. And by extension, we're offered the same choice. So here's how we're going to break this down. Four points. Number one, the choice given. Number two, the choice received. Number three, the choice neglected. And number four, the choice obliterated. We're going to begin with the choice given by looking at Chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. 
Near the beginning of King Asa's reign, God sends to him a prophet named Azariah. And through Azariah, God gave Asa, and really all of Judah, all the people, a choice. He says, Asa, the Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. It's a pretty simple choice, don't you think? Only two ways this is going to go. Yes, no, positive, negative, good, bad, ones, zeros, whatever. Only two choices. There's no third, there's no fourth, there's no other options. Very simple. Seek God and he promises that you will find him. Forsake God and he will forsake you. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And then Azaria gives a brief rundown of Israel's most recent history and quite frankly, it's not good. Azaria tells Asa that for a long time Israel was without the true God, a teaching priest, and without the law. Well, how did that happen? Began with Solomon's reign as king. Solomon was a son of David and considered to be one of Israel's greatest kings. Except he, except he had a problem. You know what it was? He loved women too much. First, First Kings 11 says that Solomon had a thousand wives. Now, I don't know how he did it. I only had one girlfriend before Cindy, that's two, and she didn't really even like me very much, so we're back to one. I don't know how you get a thousand women or wives. But the problem with all those wives is that many of them came from outside of Israel, outside of the country. And with them came the worship of many false gods. And as these pagan religions enter Israel, Solomon Solomon's literally building temples for these other gods for his wives to worship in. And what happens is they influence the Israelites into all forms of idolatry. God's judgment against Solomon was that he would tear away the kingdom from him, but not completely. They would split into the two kingdoms. Asa is Solomon's great-grandson. Both Asa's father and grandfather were kings before Asa, and they did much evil in the sight of the Lord. They continued the pagan religions of Solomon's wives, and over that time, idolatry just deepened throughout Israel. The Old Testament law giving in, that was given in Mount Sinai had been forgotten. There were no teaching priests to bring it back. The consequences for Israel were severe. And you see that in verses 5 and 6. It says that there was no peace among the Israelites. Great disturbances afflicted the entire region. There were internal wars and external wars. And really, verse 6 says it all. They were broken in pieces. And it was all done by God as a consequence for ignoring him. And now Asa and Judah, they have a choice. If you seek the Lord and you stick with him, you will find him and he will not forsake you. Verse 7, Asa, you will be rewarded. You know, before, before we move on, 
God gives us the same choice. First Baptist Powell, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And this promise is repeated throughout the Bible. Psalm 34, 4, Jeremiah 29, 13, Isaiah 55, 6, Matthew 7, 7, Luke 11, 9 to 10. And those are just some of the references where this choice, this very simple choice is given to all generations. This is an ancient promise that stands for all time. And it is given to us this morning. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. By the way, that's a promise too. Take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Asa was given a choice, and so are we. That's our first point, the choice given. Let's see what Asa did with it. Second point. The choice received. Asa received the choice well. Verse 8. As soon as Asa heard the words, he took courage. Now that's an important statement. Asa immediately took courage. Over and over in Scripture, God's people are instructed by the Lord to take courage. Well, what makes that possible? Because God's promises, God promises that if you seek him, you will find him. When you need him, he promises he will be there. And Asa believed that promise so solidly that he immediately took courage. I also think the Holy Spirit had an awful lot to do with that too, right? Certainly after the cross. But courage. Courage to do what? Four things Asa did in the next paragraph. Really five things if we include the end of the chapter. And these are subpoints to the second subpoints to the second point, the choice received. And the first subpoint is verse 8 says that Asa put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. Asa set out on a mission to purify Israel from idolatry. Whatever was keeping them from seeking God, whatever was unholy, whatever was sinful, whatever was detestable, it dishonored God and it brought disgrace to his people. And Asa removed it. And given his great-grandfather's sin, we just said this, Israel was infested with pagan religion. So this purification, it took a long time. It took a a great deal of time and effort. Verse 10 refers to the 15th year of Asa's reign. And by that, I, it took 15 years to root out idolatry from Israel. 15 years. I was thinking about that. What was 15 years ago? 2008. Who remembers 2008? That was a long time ago. It took 15 years for Asa to remove the idols from Israel. And you know it was a fight. It was a fight because when you remove the idols of people, Satan, Asa's king, but Satan was in charge. 
Satan had hold of the people, and he was not going to let go of them without a fight. Well, the second thing Asa did, second sub-point, Asa repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken down at the temple. You know, Solomon built more than just pagan temples. He actually built the temple of the Lord. It's a beautiful temple. But it had, by the third generation, it had fallen into disrepair due to negligence. And Asa began the process, process of painstakingly rebuilding the, the altar in preparation for the people to worship the Lord. Again, I think that this took a lot of time and effort on Asa's part. This was not just restacking a bunch of rocks to rebuild the altar. Asa was renovating and recommissioning the house of the Lord to get ready for the people to worship. Third thing Asa did under this third sub-point. Once those two activities were finished, Asa gathers all the people of Judah and Benjamin in one location. At the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. This is a massive amount of people. You go back to chapter 14, it talks about Asa's army was 580,000 people. So if he'd gathered all of Judah and Benjamin, we're talking a couple million people. A lot of people. And we need to remember that these are the chosen people, the chosen of the chosen. The promises to God's people extended to all 12 tribes, but the Messiah was promised to come from one tribe, Judah, and from one family, from David. Idolatry had taken all of Israel. But they have now, over 15 years, have purified themselves. They repaired the altar of the house of the Lord, and now they are gathering together. Asa gathered them together. But notice who's with these people. Verse 9. People from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. A great number of people from the other ten tribes. And these people were supposedly enemies to Judah, but they saw what God was doing there, and they come as refugees and deserters to worship God. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture of how God assembles a, a group of people from near and far who are desperate for him. And then the fourth thing Asa does as he's gathered all the people, they worship the Lord together. Verses 11 to 15, they sacrifice 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep. These sacrifices are sins for the people. And we don't need to do this, do we? Jesus was sacrificed once and, once and for all for us. So it's hard for us to imagine a scene like this. This many, couple million people and 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep being slaughtered. It's just beyond our imagination. But the rest we can imagine. The people enter into a covenant together. Now this is not a new covenant with the Lord. The Lord made his covenant with Israel when he gave them the law in Exodus. This is a covenant renewal made between the people at his worship service. Similar to the covenant that we make together as church members. 
We enter into membership here committing to seek and serve the Lord just as they did on that day at the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 14 says, They shouted, they worshiped the Lord with shouting, trumpets, and horns. <laughs> That's not my style of worship music, folks. Shouting and trumpets and horns. I kind of, that actually reminds me of what happened last night about 12 miles down the road. Shouting, a great amount of people shouting with horns and trumpets. But it's funny, that's how the Bible describes that these people worship the Lord. Kind of so much for the worship wars of the 90s. <clears throat> Over a million people worshiping the Lord together. I mentioned a fifth thing that Asa did. It's really the same thing as the first. <laughs> he removes his mother as position as queen mother because of her flagrant idolatry. Restoring the Lord's place in Israel was more important to Asa than unbelieving family. That's how dedicated Asa was. Well, let's look at the results of everything Asa did that culminated into this celebration and worship. Look at verse 15. It says, And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. And get this, and he was found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Here's the question. How do we know the people sought and desired God with their own heart? With their whole heart? Because their desire, their desire had developed over 15 years as Judah was being cleansed of its idols. The time and the effort that they put in worked to change the desires of their hearts. It changed it away from idols and it changed it towards the Lord. And verse 15 says, they found God. And he gave them peace all around. We can even quantify that last statement because if you drop down to verse 19 at the end of the chapter, it says, and there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. For 20 years, Judah had peace with neighboring nations because Asa did what was good and right in sight of the Lord. This is a sharp contrast from where we started chapter 15. Remember, Azaria's message was that for a long time there had been no peace in the land. We're talking a couple of generations. No peace in the land. There were great disturbances. Nation crushed nation. And God had troubled them with every sort of distress. But now God had given them peace for 20 years. What a great story of spiritual revitalization and renewal. And we could camp out here for the rest of our time. And we could go home feeling really encouraged by this. But we're not going to do that. There's more to Asa's story that we need to see, and we're going to look at it in chapter 16. Something changes 
We're going, to, we're going to look at that. But I would be remiss if we didn't consider some application from chapter 15. We've already said that we, we've been offered the same choice as Asa and Judah. If you seek the Lord, you will find him. If you forsake the Lord, he will forsake you. Seeking the Lord with all of our heart and soul means that we must remove the things that distract our attention from him. We must remove the idols that are in our life. And what are they? I don't know. Because everyone is different. But here's a definition for you to consider. It's anything that interferes with your relationship with God. And that can be anything. Moral or immoral. Good or bad. Now God has given us a lot of great things to enjoy, right? And the question isn't about whether this thing in my life is good or bad necessarily. It's more about, here's a question to consider. Am I enjoying God as I engage in this activity, whatever it is? Am I enjoying God in engaging in, in this activity? Is my relationship with God active and thriving as I participate in this, whatever it is? Or am I setting God aside? Do I have to push him to the back of my mind to engage in this activity? And by the way, that's how good gifts from our Heavenly Father can become idols. Because the activity we're doing becomes the source of our joy as we receive joy apart from the Lord. You see that? The other thing I want to say about these first two points is look at the time frame. Again, if you haven't noticed, a lot of our focus here this morning is centered on time. For a long time before Asa, things were bad. It took 15 years for Asa to clean out the idols in the land. And then there were 20 years of peace. Time in this story is important. We need to consider how long have we lived with our idols? How long are we going to keep worshiping on Sunday morning while our idols wait for us at home? How long have we been doing that? How long are we going to keep doing it? Folks, that's a half-hearted worship of God. The question God asks of his children isn't, how long before you will worship me? We've already done that this morning. We're doing that. The question for his children really is more, how long before you will worship me with all your heart and soul? And it means removing the idols that we're holding on to. Well, time is important to our study this morning, and we see that as we're going to move into chapter 16. Our third point is the choice neglected. The choice was given, the choice was received, received well, and now the third one is it's the choice is neglected. 
Look at the time in 16.1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa. I'm going, to, I'm going to read just the first nine verses of chapter 16. Verse 1, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, and he sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Aijan, Dan, Abelmaim, and the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah and carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth and to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So let's walk through this story and I'll comment as we go. It's now 20 years after the idols were removed and the great worship celebration. Basha is the king of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that broke away. And he starts trouble. He sets up a blockade in one of the cities that hinders travel to and from Judah. And Asa, cons Asa considers his options. And he decides to negotiate a deal with the king of Syria, who's a pagan king. Asa asks the king to attack Israel from the north so that Basha will then move his army away from Judah's doorstep. And that way, Asa can come in and fortify his cities. Strategically, it's not a bad plan. And then Asa seals the deal by sending the Syrian king silver and gold from the house of God. Okay, now it's a bad plan. But in the end, the plan works. Basha moves his army and Asa moves in to shore up his defenses. Here's the problem. What did Asa not do? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Asa forgot the choice he was given. Remember, the Lord told Asa, he is with Asa if Asa is with him. Where in these verses does Asa seek God's help? He didn't. And the question is, is why? Why didn't Asa seek God's help? 
You know, the text doesn't say. But I think I know why. And the reason is all too common. And I fall into the same trap more than I care to admit. And here comes my confession, okay? Because I can be very much like Asa. In this story, there are four words that I just can't let go of ever since I read them. Four words. And a lot of you are going to get this at first, but I think you will. Hang on. Those four words that I've struggled with are the first four words of chapter 16 in the 36th year. I know. I told you this would baffle you, kind of like me standing up here with a tie on. It was going to baffle you. In the 36th year, it's like a drum beating in my head when I first meditated on this, on this text. And here's why I think Asa forgot by sharing with you just a little bit of my story. Got a lot of new people here, so many of you don't know my story. And I'm not only going to share with you, I'm not going to bore you with it, I'm going to share you just a little bit of it. But I've only been a pastor for six years, July 3rd, 2017. Never been a pastor before that. I was in business for 33 years. In the last 10 of those years, I had climbed the ladder in a very large corporation. I had a $70 million budget, and I employed hundreds of people at the same time. Now, I'm not boasting. You're going to trust me. You're going to see in just a minute. I'm not. Because the details of my job are irrelevant. What is relevant is how that level of authority and responsibility shapes you over time. Remember that time is a big factor in Asa's story. And of course, Asa was king of Judah over millions of people. I only had a few hundred. But stick with me here, because there's two things that that the Lord showed me or revealed to me. One, you don't get to that level of authority and responsibility that I had in a large secular corporation without being fully immersed in secular organizational management practices. You understand what I mean by that? You don't get to that level. You just don't. You don't get to that level. Because to be successful, you must demonstrate to executive leadership that you can lead all kinds of people in business practices that are common in the world. We're going to call that knowledge. Just call it knowledge for now. The second thing is, you don't get to that level of authority and responsibility by being indecisive. Rather, you, you must be decisive. And often at times, you need to do it very quickly or at least very timely. I'll also add, you need to be right most of the time. You're not going to get to that level by being wrong most of the time. You need to be right most of the time in your decision making. And you achieve that by becoming an expert, and many of you go through this, it's rote. An expert in problem solving, you investigate, you gather the facts, you find 
problem definition, you define the problem, and then once you find problem definition, you ideate all the possible solutions, you determine the best course of action, you then implement those change and those solutions very quickly, and then you evaluate and you adjust as necessary, right? It happens all over the place, all over businesses. Many of you do it day in and day out. We're gonna call that experience. So here I am, 33, before coming here, 33 years of experience, now 39, it's a little bit different, but 33 years of experience before coming here, and I've been doing things at a very high level for a very long time. Again, not boasting, and you'll see why in just a second. What's missing from that problem-solving list that I just rattled off? What's that? God. God. Prayer. Where in those steps of problem solving that I rattled off is prayer? Where was I seeking the Lord? Where is he leading me to his best solution? It's not there. I didn't rat, I didn't, it's not one of the things I rattled off. 33 years and I did what I was trained to do and now, after so long, it's second nature to me. You just do it. It was from this story that I realized, Asa's story, that my knowledge and experience has become an idol. It became an idol. And I think this is Asa's failure too. I think that's why the Lord began the chapter with, not just innocently in the 36th year of Asa's reign, I think he could have said in the 36th year of Asa's reign, he fell. I think his pride had taken God out of the equation. He had been king and leading these people for so long, it became second nature to him. The choice given and received and by the way, that choice that we talked about at the very beginning, that is, that's not a one-time choice. It's a lifelong choice. It's a lifestyle choice. And now the choice was being neglected by Asa. By the way, knowledge and experience are really good things. We want those, okay? We need those. The Bible encourages growth and knowledge and experience, and it praises those who use that combination to wisely counsel other, others. All kinds of scripture to back that up. But what's the beginning of biblical wisdom? Fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowing God is the beginning of all understanding. And by that, I mean a practical application of seeking and finding, knowing and experiencing God in every circumstance of our life, our entire life. I truly believe over time that Asa made his knowledge and experience an idol. He had removed God from his decision-making by neglecting him. Pastor Perry said something about last week. His sin doesn't just necessarily come at you. It, a lot of times it creeps in over time. 
Asa removed God from his decision-making by neglecting him and his promises, and I am prone to do the same thing. Asa's knowledge and experience. Go back to chapter 15. All that was in the chapter 15. All the things he did for 15 years. It should have led him to God. Not away from God. And that's what the rest of our third point is about. God sends another prophet to Asa. He sent Azariah early, but now 36 years later, after the first one, he sends Hanani the seer. And Hanani brings a message from the Lord that calls out Asa's negligence. He says, because you relied on the Lord, on the king of Syria and not the Lord, the army of Syria has escaped you. Meaning, Syria is really an enemy. Asa, you made a deal with the enemy. And that's going to haunt Judah farther down the road. But the issue at hand is Asa was negligent in his reliance on God. And here, God is giving Asa a chance for repentance by bringing Hanani the seer. And Hanani reminds Asa of a time that's recorded. Actually, he's, he's sharing a story. He's referring back to, actually, if you go back to the latter part of chapter 14, don't do that. I'm just saying, you can read about it later. The latter half of chapter 14, where Asa faces this Ethiopian army that was nearly twice the size of Asa's army. It was actually over a million, over a million men. Only then... With confidence, Asa had called on the name of the Lord to fight for him, and the Ethiopian army was destroyed. And Hanani says, Asa, you should have done here the same as you did before. Instead, Asa, verse 3, did what his father had done. Remember, we talked about his father. His father was did evil in the sight of the Lord. And in this case, the outcome worked out for Judah for now, but Asa missed an opportunity to glorify God and to lead his people into a deeper relationship. Let's apply just a little bit here before we go to our last point. The words in the 36th year, they literally hit me like a truck. Too often, I rely on my lengthy knowledge and experience, and that can't be anymore. That's what this story showed me. But you don't have to be my age to be negligent in choosing to seek God with all your heart and soul. You don't have to do it for 33, 36, 39, whatever years. You could be 36 years as a believer, 6 years as a believer, or 6 months as a believer. We're all prone to wander from the God that we say we love. And again, even good things like knowledge and experience can become an idol if we neglect that we are dependent on God for everything. So be careful, young person. This this warning isn't just for an old guy like me. Idolatrous pride can take anyone down. It may manifest itself different ways, but the root cause is always the same. We neglect our relationship with God, and it creeps in so subtly. that We don't even know that, not, that anything's really wrong. 
All right, last point, verses 9 to 14. The choice obliterated. In response to God calling out Asa through Hannah and I, Asa doesn't respond well. He responded really well to, to Zaria 35, six years ago. Doesn't respond well, and here again, at times, neither do I. We're going to walk through this very quickly. First, there are consequences for our negligence in the choice given. Remember, if you seek me, you'll find me. But if you forsake me, I will forsake you. In this case, discipline. Second part of verse 9 comes the judgment. Here it is. Asa, you have done foolishly in this, for now on you will have wars. So much for the 20 years of peace. They're gone. And now you're going to be at war with others, internally and externally. That's the judgment. But look at Asa's response. And keep in mind, this was an opportunity for Asa to repent. Doesn't mean that God was going to remove the discipline. However, it would improve the relationship between Asa and the Lord, but that's not what Asa does. And look at verse 10. We didn't read verse 10. Look at verse 10. Instead, verse 10, then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in the prison, for he was in a rage because of this. Asa responded with uncontrollable anger. Far different than the guy that we saw 20 years before. Now, I'm not going to talk much about anger here. We published a blog this week that I wrote entitled, Be Angry and Do Not Sin. You can find it on our website. Some might think I wrote that recently. I didn't. I actually wrote it six weeks ago. And it was a result of personal reflection in my own life. Without getting into details, other than to say, you know, occasionally I fall into the same trap as Asa. Sometimes a series of events can occur that just lights a fuse in me. Anybody else have that experience? A series of events can occur that lights a fuse, a fuse in me. And as my blog said, I have a very long fuse. My family will attest. I takes me an awful lot to spin me up, and it takes a long time for me to get there. And most times, I'm able to work through it. And when I have struggle a little bit, I have a couple of friends, two in particular, who hold my deepest respect, and they keep me in check. You need to pray for them, because I am not easy when my fuse has been lit. Most times, the fuse is extinguished. But sometimes, things just keep going, and they intensify, and they escalate, especially if it involves family or close friends. And by the way, I make no distinction between those two, family and close friends. Same thing to me. And if they're hurting, and occasionally, the flame reaches the dynamite, and I explode like Asa. 
And it is like 99 red balloons, the movie Independence Day, and Battlestar Galactica all going off in my head at the same time. And that's it. I'm done. I've had it. This will not happen again. And all I want to do is scorch the earth of every living thing. At least it seems like that sometimes. And during those extreme occasions, I have a very difficult time self-limiting my anger, meaning that, by what I mean is, not, it's one thing to be provoked to anger. We all experience that. It's another thing to go then to anger that results in rage, wrath, and malice. That's what happened to, to, to Asa. That's what he did when he threw the guy in prison. And, and again, if you read my blog, you'll see the difference between the two. But what I mean is, I have a hard time not scorching the earth under that. But then comes the sentence in verse 10, and it just devastates me. Look at verse 10, the, 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 the second sentence. It says, and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Threw the guy in prison, and now he's inflicting cruelties on others. When you want to scorch the earth, a flamethrower is not a surgical weapon. It's a flamethrower. It throws flame everywhere. And what you find after that is that you, me, I, have hurt everyone, including the people that you most wanted to care for and protect. And then you grieve over the harm that you brought to others for a very long time. And eventually the Lord works your way around to one, you, ask, you start asking yourself, why couldn't I have just been like Jesus? I don't know if anybody else has had that experience, but it's awful and it's painful. And I think others have too. Asa had lost control. And I have too, in the past. Asa never fully recovered. You can read about the rest of his life in those final verses. And now after disemboweling myself in front of you, I need to close this somehow, which we're going to do that. The reason I share all of that is, folks, we need to keep it real. We've got to keep it real. Asa did a lot of things. A lot of good things. And we need to, but he didn't finish well. And we need to cut him a little bit of a break. You don't have to cut me a break, that's fine. But we need to cut him a little bit of a break because here's why. Chapter 15 and the first half of this sermon describes the good, the good that Asa did. Chapter 16 and the second half of this sermon describes all the bad that he did. And the perception would be it's 50-50. Half of them was good and half of them was bad. That's not true. Remember, I said time is a very important thing in this story. Remember, chapter 15 covers 35 years of doing good. Asa did good. Chapter 16 covers one situation that spanned about a year, maybe a little bit more. 
But the moral to that story is, unfortunately, one situation handled badly tends to obliterate all the good that we've done. We've got to be careful of that. Asa, 35 years of good, one bad. Well, 90 seconds and we'll be done. What Asa and I needed to hear, especially in our later years, are the words of Jeremiah 29, 23, 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. How do we, how do we understand and know the Lord? By studying the word, his word. And by that, I mean the Bible, but even more than that, by studying a person. Jesus is the word of God. He is the exact representation of God. And how do we know, how do we know that this, this part of this, it says, how do we know that the Lord practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, and, and that he delights in those things? Because Jesus practiced steadfast love and justice and righteousness in all 30, 33 years on the earth. And he delighted in those things. He delighted in people. And it's all recorded in the Gospels for us. Jesus was born in an, in, in an Israel that was in far worse shape than what Asa inherited. It was even worse. And yet he had love and compassion for all those around him. He confronted the people's idolatry and he helped them remove their idols. He is the temple that was rebuilt in three days. He is the final sacrifice given on the altar of the cross. He is the person that we gather and covenant together to worship. He is the one who gives us peace, not for 20 years. He gives us peace forever. His death on the cross was the highest practice of steadfast love, justice, and righteousness ever committed. And the Bible says it was for joy that he did it. I also believe, I'm convinced that Jesus saved Asa's soul. Asa made some mistakes, but he actually, by scholars, is regarded as one of the good kings of Israel's history during the kingdom divided. However, he didn't finish well. My prayer is that by the Spirit of Christ who lives in me, who lives in all of us, that know him, that I will finish well. And I pray the same for every believer in this room. Let's pray. Father, how thankful I am for the Spirit of Christ that lives in me. How thankful I am for your word. That we can study the stories, even the victories and the failures of those that have gone on before us. 
In your infinite wisdom, you've shared them with us, Father, so that we can learn, so we can see ourselves. How do I go 30-some years and not see, how, how do I not see some of the idols in my life? I'm supposed to know these things. But I'm thankful, Father, that you are gentle and you are kind. You are willing to transform us for your glory, to be more like Christ. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.